and welcome to Silver Age Silver Screen, a podcast where we gaze, break with, and review with sci-fi, cult, superhero, and other stereotypically geeky films. I am thy co-host, Casey of House Charms. And I'm Riley of House Thorpe. And in this episode, we are watching Thor, a film that's based off the Marvel Comics character created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby about a palmy Norse god. Yond is did banished to the mortal realm. And that is all that I have written into the Shakespeare translator now, so I'm going to stop with the voice. That's a slow clap. That's me doing a slow clap for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. No, that was good. That was very good. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. I feel like that would have gone really old. So, you know, it's probably a good thing they got rid of the whole old English shit that, well, actually, early middle English is what Shakespeare would be. The early middle English shit that they did with Thor for years. Yeah. We're watching Thor. Episode title. Right there. Look, look. Look at your phone and or computer. You have eyes, David. You selected this for a reason. You wanted to hear us talk about... Thor. Yeah. I hope your name is David. Fuck you, David. Yeah. Fucking David. Why are we being mean to a theoretical viewer named David? But yes, in this episode, we're returning to the MCU. We skipped around a bit. Technically, the Iron Man 2 came out before this, but we've already done Iron Man movie, and we've never talked about Thor, except for... You briefly talked about him when we talked about Hulk. We're doing the original Thor movie, released in 2011, starring Chris Hemsworth, Natalie Portman, and Tom Hiddleston, based off the Marvel comic character created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who, in turn, is based off the mythological god Thor. You know, the Norse dude with the hammer and the cross-dressing and the lightning. That dude. This movie was directed by Kenneth Branagh, who, interestingly enough, at the time, he, for those of you who don't know, he has made other films before and since then, most recently, he's done Murder on the Orient Express, the greatest Disney movie ever made last year, Artemis Fowl. But also, like, and maybe this is why they chose him for this, he did a bunch of Shakespeare adaptations, like... The film adaptation of Hamlet that I've seen, it was directed by him. Also, he played Gilderoy Lockhart. So, yeah, he's mostly done a lot of Shakespeare and classic literature, like he did Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Hamlet, Much Ado About Nothing. He's done a lot of, like, classic, quote-unquote, tour de force-style movies. Also Artemis Fowl. Also Artemis Fowl, yes. I haven't even seen that. Why are we shitting on him for that? I mean, I haven't heard good things about it, but I gotta stop doing that. I've seen the clip with Josh Gad eating the ground and all the dirt flies out his butthole. So I can say whatever the fuck I want to. Oh boy. But anyway, here Brana is making a Marvel Comics movie. Interestingly, he was asked on the campaign trail for this movie, like, what's it like his experience going from Shakespeare and works of classic literature and theater to working on a Marvel superhero movie? And his answer, from what I can recall, was essentially along the lines of, well, I mean, if you think about it, Thor's story and the characters within it are very Shakespearean in nature. 
there's a lot of blood feuds, a lot of conspiracy, a lot of backstabbing, brothers turning against each other. There's elements to Thor's character and story that make him inherently Shakespearean. That's why I'm guessing he was hired as director for this movie. Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie, this movie, it's no Shakespeare. I'm not gonna compare this movie to the guy who's considered to be the greatest writer in English literature, which honestly I think is a bit much, but he was a really good writer. But you do get some of those vibes, like the production design of the royal palaces and just this central story about a feud between two brothers. Kenneth Branagh was a good choice. Yeah. And, you know, honestly... I haven't seen this movie in years prior to, well, last night when I watched it so we could do this review. And there's kind of the idea in the MCU fandom that the first two Thor movies, the ones directed by Brana, are kind of eh, not great. And I will admit that kind of applies to Dark World, but I was pleasantly surprised going back to this. This was a decent film. Yeah, well, Brana did not return for the Dark World. That was directed by Alan Taylor. Okay, that explains a yeah, lot. Honestly, I I agree. I have my own opinions on it, my thoughts, pros and cons to this movie, but similar to you, I watched it again earlier this afternoon and after not time I before that was like many many years ago. I always did like it, but everybody wraps it up with the dark world as like, "Oh yeah, that one's just bad and forgettable." But I find that there's a lot of movies that it's like mainstream to hate on and say it's the worst movie ever. It's just, you say, oh yeah, this movie's shit and no one bats an eye. But in, at the end of the day, what the problem is, is not so much that that movie's bad. It's like, what if the franchise would continue on to be, you know, like the Pierce Brosnan, James Bond movies. It's like uh, the first one he did was GoldenEye. It's fantastic, great, everybody loves it. But then the sequel, which I believe is uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, it's actually a decent movie. It's not great, but it's also not horrible. But because the third and fourth installment in the Pierce Brosnan franchise would just get shittier over time. It's like it gets wrapped up in the idea that's like, oh, GoldenEye's the only good one of the four. It's like, no, this one's not horrible. I mean, it's not great, but it's not horrible. The point of what I'm trying to say is I think this movie gets unfairly wrapped up with the Dark World, which is objectively bottom tier Marvel. Yeah. And, you know, I will say this movie, it does have a bit of a different feel yeah. than later MCU movies. And admittedly, I prefer Thor under the Russo brothers or Taika Waititi, but you know, this film, it's solid. And yeah. let's just jump right into this. Mm -hmm. So this film, it, well, it opens up with some in-media reds things with some scientists in the desert that we'll get to later when it actually chronologically happens. Honestly, the first 30 minutes of this movie are really different from the rest oh, of yeah. it, but I really like the first 30 minutes yeah. of it. It introduces us to Asgard, this plan, well, well, I guess planet, based on how it's portrayed in later things, but they don't really go into that in this. Asgard, this kingdom where the Norse gods live, and the Norse gods in ancient times came to the Earth, and humans worshipped them as gods. And 
can I just say, the best thing about this movie, mm-hmm. holy shit, Asgard looks good. Yeah. I love how Asgard yeah, looks yeah. in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do too. The sweeping shots of Asgard, like, it looks beautiful. I will say, in terms of, and obviously it's it's almost a 10-year-old, it's a 10-year-old movie. The quality of CGI has grown. I don't know. So there were some CGI shots that were like, okay, it's not bad. It's just that's very, very obviously CGI. But that said, it still looked beautiful. To me, it was kind of like Speed Racer, how it's like, yeah, that's not the most realistic thing in the world, but it's not supposed to. It's still pretty. Like, that's the point of it. So... Anthony Hopkins' character, he plays Odin, the head of the Norse gods, like the wise guy with the eye patch. You know him. Or maybe you don't. I don't know if you know anything about Norse mythology. He narrates that years ago, the Asgardians went to war with the frost giants of Jotunheim and saved the earth from them and stole their casket of ancient winters, this magical artifact that contains all of their power. And then we jump ahead two years later, like, because he's telling this to his two young sons. We jump ahead years later, his sons are grown up. One of them, Thor, is played by Chris Hemsworth, the other, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, who is a trickster god who's the bad guy in the comics. You know, I hope he isn't evil in this one. I don't know. It's like how everyone I knew who was not, like, hardcore Marvel fans were like, I really hope Mysterio isn't the villain of Far From Home. I really hope he's not. He just seems like he's such a nice guy. I mean, to be fair, I was wondering if they would try to do a reverse twist where they... Like, sometimes they do that in superhero adaptations, and really adaptations in general, where they take the twist and turn it. Like, uh, the show Supergirl, which is just, eh, it's kind of okay, I have mixed feelings on it. But they did a really good thing, where they introduce Hank Henshaw, who is a supervillain in the comics. And they, throughout the first half of the first season, show him being really suspicious, and in one episode... His eyes, like, turn red, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's Cyborg Superman, he's gonna do his evil thing, and then, nope, he's Martian Manhunter in this. Martian Manhunter's pretending to be Hank Henshaw. Like, yeah, I like when things do that. Yeah. As Odin is about to coronate his son, Thor, we have a break-in! Some frost giants break into the vault below Asgard, which has a bunch of cool stuff in it that may be relevant in later movies, may be fake. (laughs) Just ignore that for now. The frost giants break into the vault to steal the cask of ancient winters, and they get fucking wrecked by the giant robot suit of armor with laser eyes that the Asgardians keep down there as a guard called the Destroyer. Mm -hmm. During the middle of Thor's coronation, the frost giants break in, basically preventing Thor from finishing his coronation to become king. Odin, Loki, and Thor go down to the ar- where what what's what's the area called where they're keeping all of it? I don't I don't know the, I don't know if it has an official name. I mean it probably does. I don't know. The armory? Yeah, probably. Where they keep all the stuff. The treasure room. Surter's skull there, a fake infinity gauntlet. The weird thing Hella uses in the third film to make an army of ghosts. Yeah, so they go down to the treasure room and Thor, outraged with his coronation being interrupted, demands that they retaliate against the frost giants in Jotunheim. Odin, however, denies his request because the very act of doing so would ensure a war happening. Because the frost giants in Asgard have a peace treaty, kind of like a stalemate. Odin basically says, no, I'm not going to go to war. These guys 
For all we know, they acted alone. They paid with their lives. They didn't win. Yada, yada, yada. He tells Thor off. He's just like, no, you're not the king yet. You don't have the right to decide this. Outraged even further by his father not taking him seriously, Thor goes to the dining hall where he flips over the table and just kind of throws There was throws so much the... food there, dude! Yeah, he... Dick, it was probably dinner time. There are starving people on Earth and you're just going to throw away food, young man. Your best friend Volstag is probably starving. Do you understand that? He, he was so starving afterwards because he flipped the table, he's throwing a tantrum, and... Like, Volstagg just grabs a plate of cheese and bread and starts making, like, a three-story sandwich or whatever the fuck. God, how are you even gonna fit your mouth around Oh, that? Volstagg will find a way. And yes, his name is Volstagg. He even does kind of that guy who, like, sprinkles the salt by, like, going down his forearm and down his elbow and shit. Does something kind of like that. The point of what I wanted to say here is the thing about Thor in this movie is this is very much so Thor chapter one, in that he is a very different person than what he is later on in the, even shortly after that in the MCU. Yeah, God, I forgot how unbearable Thor is in the first half of this movie. And I mean, the whole movie, it's Thor learns humility and stops being a dick and he becomes, I would argue, the best MCU character. But oh God, he is fucking awful at the start of this film. Yes, he is very egotistical, prideful, wrathful, every other negative thing you could put full afterwards. Just He's just a douchebag. Yeah. And Loki being his brother. The smart one. The quote-unquote caring brother he is tries calming Thor down, but in doing so, implants this idea in his head that they must go to Jotunheim to retaliate against the Frost Giants themselves without Odin's permission. <laughs> what I mean by him planted the idea in Thor's head, he literally just says, the only thing you could do is go against Father's wishes. And Thor goes, I'm gonna go against Father's wishes. Loki goes, no, Thor, don't do that. No, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, now that I think about it, they tried to paint Loki in the MCU as being this master manipulator and strategist. And he does have some clever moments, but a lot of it is him just exploring the fact that Thor's a dipshit a lot of the time. He's a fucking meathead asshole. And Loki's just kind of over his shoulder like, yeah, yeah, I'll take advantage of this. So Thor, Loki, and Thor's friends, who we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Thor's friends. He has four of them, and the film doesn't really spend time talking about them, but those guys are in it. Uh, Volstag, Lady Sif, um, hold up. I'm trying to remember. I got him. Got him. Got him. Hogan and Fendril, right? Fendril, yes. That's it. Sith and the Warriors 3. You know, honestly, those four just kind of get ignored a lot by the MCU, and that's a constant thing, and I'm not a big Thor comic fan, so I don't really care, but... I have a feeling that Thor fans don't like that they get sidelined all the time and their deaths in Ragnarok being anticlimactic. I don't even think Sif was in Thor Ragnarok, to be perfectly nah, honest. Nah, nah, because she was busy with Blindspot, I think. So anyway, Team Thor decides to go to Jotunheim and they get there by going across this rainbow bridge to the Bifrost, this big laser teleporter thing that is guarded by Idris Elba, who is the best side character in any MCU movie. Oh, yeah. He plays Heimdall. And Heimdall's like, uh, no, you can't just go to Jotunheim. 
I mean, sure, I'd like to find out how someone snuck into Asgard under my watch, but I'm not going to send you there. No, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go on a smoke break with the keys and the ignition. Don't do anything. Yeah. I love that aspect. Like, it shows up in all three Thor movies that Heimdall, he's supposed to be super loyal, but this guy just, he doesn't give a shit. He does what he wants, and I like that. He knows every single rule in the rule book. But he also knows the loopholes. Thor 2, it, it's mixed. But I do love in that when Heimdall decides to help out Team Thor. He like calls Odin and he says, My liege, there's a betrayal. What, what do you mean? I have betrayed you by distracting you right now. Please arrest me. Idris Elba's great. Yeah, this entire cast, it was really when I watched it earlier, I realized just this cast is pretty fucking stacked. I mean, you got Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, who at the time were unknowns. The only thing of really that I know of that Chris Hemsworth had done before this was the reboot Star Trek movie. He played Kirk's father. For like a scene. Yeah. And Tom Hiddleston, he auditioned to play Thor. No. Yeah, yeah. He auditioned to play I, Thor. I didn't know that. <laughs> that would have been bad. He's a perfect Loki. Oh, yeah. But there was um, test footage of him. He wears a bright blonde wig. He has a toy hammer. The whole nine yards. He gives it his all. Pat's on the back. I mean, I, I, I sound like I'm giving him shit. I don't mean to. Tom Hiddleston's a really good actor. He plays a perfect Loki. It's just him playing Thor is kind of laughable, you know? Well, I know why I'm watching after this. Also in the cast, and he got the and starring, like, where they get that big, really good actor who only shows up in a few scenes but is important to the plot. And starring Anthony Hopkins as Odin, plus Natalie Portman as Thor's love interest, Jane Foster, Stellan Skarsgård, and Kat Dennings play her sidekicks. And Renee Russo. So yeah, this is a good cast. I mean, you got Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Natalie Portman, Idris Elba, fucking Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, Stellan Skarsgård, Renee Russo, Kat Dennings. Yeah, this is a really good cast. I mean, I don't think Kat Dennings is the greatest actress, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. But it is interesting, having been watching WandaVision on a weekly basis, it is interesting going back to see how Darcy got started in the MCU versus where she's at yeah, now. Her character was introduced ten years ago. That's weird. Also... Side note, in this movie, she mentions that she's not actually a scientist. She's a political scientist, and she's an astrophysicist in WandaVision. And I mean, plenty of time to change roles, but that's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I think she just, after so long of working for Jane Foster, she's like, you know what, this interests me more. Who cares? It's fucking Darcy in Thor. But so it's like, why are we spending so much time talking about this? So Team Thor arrive in Jotunheim to question the Frost Giants. And Thor gets pissed and smashes shit. Like the Frost Giant King, Laffy, he calls Thor a princess as Thor is leaving. And Thor's like, okay, I'm gonna do some murder now. And big, big fight scene that's... That's eh, all right. I think it was a bit too dark, but there was that cool moment where Thor called down a bunch of lightning that hit the ground and created a big shockwave. And also there was a bit where Loki created an illusionary double of himself and a guy tried to tackle him and went off a cliff. It was all right. Not great. Not Yeah, terrible. you know, to, to be honest, I kind of like this fight scene. I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree with you. I thought a lot of the up-close hand-to-hand combat, I thought it was... Very poorly shot, very poorly lit, just a lot of shaky cam. I thought that was bad. But, like, the big sweeping wide shots of, like, 
at one point they're running away from a giant monster that's chasing them. Thor, just by sheer power, destroys the ground and this big cave-in starts happening and the ground behind them where the army is chasing after his friends like falls down and the monster falls down with them but then it cuts to a shot where the monster is running underneath the ground upside down after them. I have a lot of problems with it but I don't, I don't know, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. No other action scene in the rest of the movie reaches the scale of that fight scene, which is very interesting that they would choose to do that. Honestly, this movie does not have a lot of action for a superhero movie. There's this fight in Jotunheim at the start, and then there's two shorter fights at the end. You know, it's interesting. Oh, right, and there's Thor beating up the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Forgot about that. Yeah, and I have a lot more to say about that later on. I thought there were some really cool shots in this fight. I thought it was big in scale. But um, an interesting thing that happened is Volstag gets grabbed by one of the frost giants and his arm completely gets frostbitten. And he tells everybody, don't let them touch you. At which point, Loki immediately gets grabbed by another frost giant, but he doesn't get frostbite. Yeah, his skin just turns blue. And him and the Frost Giants kind of stare at each other for a little bit until Loki stabs him. So what the hell's going on there? Well, we'll get the answers later. Yeah, so the friends make it to uh, the edge of the cliff. They ask Heimdall to send down the Bifrost to pick them up, take them back to Asgard. But before that, he promised, he told them, he said, if sending the Bifrost to you will bring something dangerous back with you, I won't do it. He also said that if he uses the Bifrost for too long, it will destroy whatever planet it's touching. Foreshadowing! So they're like, Heimdall, let down the Bifrost. I don't understand what's going on. And then that giant monster that was chasing them that was running upside down, like crawls up the cliff in front of them. And Thor just blows into its mouth out the back of its head, killing it, which... I don't know. It's pretty badass. Pretty badass. Also, the sight of Thor's red cape and all that dark blue area. I don't know. It was visually striking, I thought. I don't know. Anyway, then Odin shows up to save them and Thor is like, Yes, father, let's fight together. And Odin is all like, You're fucking grounded, young man. I am fucking pissed at you. Waffy, I'm sorry. My son had to go and start a war. Can we be chill? No. Well, shit. Thor, let's have a talk. Yeah. Like, oh boy, Thor, you fucking moron. I mean, immediately after doing all that, his dad was like, you're a vain, greedy, and cruel boy. And he just straight out says, you're an old man and a fool. So it's like, you're poking the bear here, dude. Yeah. And I mean, that's mean, but yeah, it's fucking true, Thor. You just killed a bunch of dudes because they called you a princess. In response to that, Odin takes Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, from him. He strips him of his hammer, his cape, and his armor, and takes away all of his power and banishes him to Midgard, or Earth. Side note, that's kind of weird, considering Ragnarok, like later... Thor movies treat Thor's power as not being from Mjolnir. Yeah. At the very least, when he doesn't have it, Thor is still super strong and invincible. And, I mean, he uses Mjolnir to channel his powers, but, like, the whole climax of Ragnarok is him learning to use his powers without Mjolnir. Yeah. It's kind of weird that Odin can just strip him of his powers. I mean, Odin has magic. I'm not saying it's weird. I'm just... I'm saying it's weird. I'm not saying it's bottle. Yeah, from what I can tell in Marvel Comics and really in Norse mythology, 
keep in mind, I'm not a guy, I'm not an expert in that field, but I've done my own research. From what I can tell, like, Odin is the most intelligent, most powerful wizard in Norse mythology. Yeah, so, like, he's like super wise. He traded an eye for super wisdom. Yeah, and like he has ultimate power and shit, so I'm sure they just explain it away as, eh, he can do it. Yeah, I'm not saying it can't. And then, now that Thor has been just chucked out of Asgard, he's been banished forever for being a bad little boy. Let's go back to the beginning, opening scene. There are three scientists out in the desert, Jane Foster, Darcy Lewis, and Eric Selvig, played by Natalie Portman, Kat Dennings, and Seth... Seth, Seth. Stellan Skarsgård. Stellan Skarsgård. He has a hard-to-remember name. It's a weird name. Wait, hold on. I just realized. Is he the brother of, like, the It guy? Uh, he's the dad. Oh. Yeah. His son played Pennywise the Clown in the most recent It movies. Right, I just realized that. But anyway, they're out in the New Mexico desert exploring weird anomalies related to wormholes and Aurora Borealis. And, I mean, it's well thought out technobabble, but still technobabble with Einstein, Rosen, Bridges. I don't know enough about this subject to criticize it like I criticize other movie science. But they're out in the desert analyzing wormhole stuff. And then suddenly there is this big crazy storm and the sky splits open and they try and drive away. And then Thor falls out of the sky and they run him over. And like they're like, oh God, is, is he okay? Hammer, I, I, I need my hammer. Yes, you're hammered. Uh, let's get you to a hospital. No, I don't want to. And then they tase him. <laughs> Darcy Lewis tases Thor. Darcy Lewis beat Thor, which, based on power scaling, means that Darcy Lewis is one of the strongest MCU characters. Of course, that that's exactly how that works. It is. I mean, come on. So yeah, from there, they take... Thor to the hospital where they're like, yeah, I don't know him. I just kind of hit him with my car. Thor wakes up in the hospital surrounded by doctors and nurses and he starts freaking out and he starts literally like, you can tell he kind of does maintain some of his strength. I mean, he doesn't have God powers anymore, but he's still Chris Hemsworth. He's jacked. Yeah, yeah, he is fucking cut in this yeah. movie. God, he beats damn. the shit out of those doctors. I hope they're all right. What if they have to go to a hospital? Yeah, like at one point, I think he elbows one of them, and the guy goes flying back into like a glass panel or whatever, and like the glass shatters. Hey, what do you what do you think those guys? How those guys feel years later when they see news footage of, like, Thor fighting in New York. And they're like, hey, that's the guy who elbowed me. I mean, I'm glad he killed the <laughs> aliens, but I'm still kind of pissed. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd consider it an honor, to be honest with you. So he's freaking out, and they give him a sedative just to knock him out, and he immediately passes out because he's mortal now. Mjolnir, which Odin also threw into New Mexico, where Thor landed, these redneck guys find the hammer in the middle of the crater where it landed, and they're having, like, competitions to see who can lift it, but no one can, because before Odin threw Mjolnir to Midgard, he enchanted it, saying, whoever is worthy can wield this hammer, which I thought was a very interesting thing that I never really thought of before when watching this movie, is like, to me, I always thought that, like, Mjolnir was a weapon that Thor could use because he was always worthy. But in this one, it's like, no, it was just a powerful weapon that his dad enchanted, saying, nope, you're unworthy, so yeah. until you get worthy, then you can use it. I mean, it is kind of a clever thing from Odin. 
And he doesn't tell Thor it, but, like, he gives Thor a way that, okay, if you stop being a little bitch, stop being a prick who wants to do a war, then you can come home. But until then, you're grounded, young man. Yeah. Oh, also, I had to pause the movie when this happened because, and I'm sorry if you're not a Marvel fan like us because we keep talking about later movies but in the second avengers movie there is a funny scene where iron man captain america and thor get into an argument about whether or not an elevator could lift mjolnir like if thor set his hammer in an elevator would the elevator go up and there's an answer to that in this because a guy tries to move mjolnir with a truck and mjolnir just breaks the truck the guy is Stan Lee, by the way, doing his obligatory cameo. Yeah. Which means, no, an elevator can't lift Mjolnir. Or perhaps the elevator can only lift Mjolnir if Thor presses the button. Which, mm, that's long story question. short, it means that Vision is actually worthy. Okay, Iron Man, stop being salty. After doing some research, they find one of the photos they took from the night before, that giant storm that they got caught up in. They found a photo of what looked like a man inside the storm. Basically, Thor being sent through the Bifrost. They go back to the hospital to try to find him, but Thor had woken up, broken free of his being, him being strapped down to the bed, and escaped. They go out, try to look for him, and while backing up, Jane hits Thor with her car once again. And it's so dumb, it's not like a highbrow, really clever joke, but I laugh my ass off. It, it, it's so dumb, yeah. but I like Thor getting hit by a car twice. And honestly, it kind of fits with the overall story, because the whole movie is just Thor gets humiliated until he stops being a dick. So yeah, he gets hit with the car a few times. Back on Asgard, Loki, Sif, and the Warriors 3 are talking about what happened and how crazy everything's gotten lately now that their friend is banished from the kingdom. And Loki tells them there that he was the one who told Heimdall to call for Odin, telling him where they went. He claims it's the intent on saving their lives. The jury's out on whether or not he had sinister intentions. Spoiler alert, he's the villain of the movie. He had Oh, God, and like, no, the way that scene ends is like Loki leaves and then Sif's like, I don't trust Loki. He's always been jealous of Thor. I wonder who the bad guy is. But when they went to Jotunheim to fight the Frost Giants, Thor asked him, how did the Frost Giants get to Asgard? And the giant said, there's a traitor in your family who helped us in. Who could it be? Who could it be? I don't know. And that's what they talk about. Sif and the Warriors 3 begin seriously considering that Loki could be the one at fault for all of this. God, who could it be? Who could this traitor be? <laughs> Is it the guy in all black who's the god of lies? No, unless... My god! The traitor! It's Thor's brother! Baldur's the one who let the Frost Giants in! Yeah. He does not exist in the MCU, and honestly, that's probably for the best, just for simplicity. Oh yeah, but there was concept art for Baldur to be in Thor the Dark World, but it's for the best that he Yeah, that'd be weird. Just like, hey, I'm your brother. I'm not really important in this one either. It works better if it's just the two of them. He's the Seth to their Cain and Abel. Also, Baldur is the oldest son of Odin, so it's like the whole conflict with Thor trying to become king of Asgard, like, that would be completely negated by the fact that his older brother, the heir to the throne, would be a part of it, you know? Loki travels back down to the treasury and finds the casket 
where he lifts it up and his skin starts turning blue again. Odin comes down and meets with him and Loki's all like, well, what am I? What's happening to me? Am I cursed? And Odin's like, no, you're not. And when Loki turns around, his skin is blue and his eyes are bright red. He's turning into a frost giant, which was hinted at earlier when they were on Jotunheim. And Odin tells Loki that when they were doing battle with the Frost Giants 1,100 years ago. After killing the leader of the Frost Giants, he found the leader's newborn son, who was like a really small human-sized baby. Conveniently short. Like he held the baby and it transformed into a human. Like it changed its skin. So it has like supernatural powers. It has the ability to control magic. Basically, he's telling Loki that he was adopted and he's a frost giant. Which, interesting thing about that, all these years later looking back, is if you look at Odin's family as presented in the MCU, Loki looks very, very different than, like, Odin, Thor, and Frigga. But later on uh, in the MCU, we learn that before Odin had Thor, he had another child, a daughter named Hela. And Loki looks surprisingly a lot like Hela. Which is interesting, a lot of people have since gone on to theorize that when Loki, baby Loki, was picked up by Odin after the war, his eye had just been cut out, he was all bloody and shit. When he was picked up by Odin, he felt safe and secure and loved. And because of that, he used his magic to go into Odin's mind and see the thing that he loved most and mourns for, which was his daughter Hela that he had to imprison in another dimension. And that's why he changed his body to look more like Hela. That's an interesting theory. Or maybe they're just both goth. Yeah, probably. Like, that's probably I, it. I, th I think they're probably both goth. Actually, if we're being technical, the reason that they look alike is because in Norse mythology and in the comics, Hela isn't Odin's daughter. She's Loki's daughter. But saying that aside... Odin has two goth kids, and then he has Thor, who is the epitome of Jock. He's a fucking poser. So, Loki does not take the revelation that he's adopted and his father has been lying to him all along. I, I interpret Odin as being genuine in that he loves Loki, but Loki takes it as Odin's just been lying to him, manipulating him for his entire life, and then... While they're having this fight, Odin just collapses. It's magic, but it's like he has a heart attack in the middle of the fight. He goes into an Odin nap, because Odin's like so powerful he has to regularly go into a coma for a while to recharge his powers. It's a whole thing that they don't really... Actually, I don't think they really ever explain it in the films, just he conveniently goes into a coma partway through this movie. Yeah, no, they never explain what the Odin sleep is, but we comic book fans know. I, I mean it, you can figure it out. And can I say something? Tom Hiddleston does such a good job as Loki in this film and the entire MCU, both as this charismatic conniving villain like this just awful person that you still root for kind of because he's just so smarmy but also especially in this movie he does portray loki as having this real sadness like he does a great job of showing loki being heartbroken in this and in later scenes in the movie good job tom hiddleston this is why loki is one of the best mcu villains because obviously marvel's gotten a lot of hate for their villains i mean it's changed recently what with 
the phase three villains, most of them being much, much better. Yeah, but I mean, still, for the first, like, six years of the MCU, Loki was the only one that had depth. Like, I mean, I like Red Skull and Iron Monger, but they're not exactly three-dimensional characters. But Loki is a complex, interesting villain who's also very charming. And he's a bad person. I'm not like, ooh, woo, Loki be my boyfriend. He's just harmless baby who needs hugs. He's a dick. But Tom Hilston does a great job making the audience feel sympathetic for him. That's why Loki has been one of the most beloved and iconic and arguably one of the best MCU villains. To this day, I'd say he's still top tier. Maybe, hmm, who would be better? Top three in no order, in my opinion. It's Thanos, Killmonger, and Loki. Like, those are the obvious choices for me. I'd say he's third. Actually, third is a villain. He, I like him a lot when he has a partial redemption arc. So do I. But I will say I'm not a big fan of the idea that Marvel was like, oh yeah, in Avengers, he was just under the Mind Stone's control for that. So all that evil stuff he did, that was Thanos' manipulation. Yeah. There was no Thanos in this one, though. Exactly, that's my point. He's more evil in this one than the Avengers. I mean, he's fully gone into the I'm the bad guy, mwaha, bow before me thing in the Avengers. But I mean, in that one, he wants to rule it. In this, he tries to blow up Jotunheim and murder Thor. And I mean, the first one's bigger, but the second one, it's a dick move, you know? He's your brother. You love him. After that, Sif and the Warriors 3 go to see Odin after their theory that Loki's the one behind all this. But oh, turns out Odin's in the Odin sleep. Loki's sitting on the throne. He's king now. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They kneel to him and say, listen, since you're the king now, you can undo Thor's banishment. And Loki refuses, but he has an excuse for it. He's like, no, my first act as king cannot be undoing the previous king's final act. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, even though Loki is, like, lying, that's a good thing. Like, something I realized while rewatching this. This film takes place over two days. It's not a long time frame. At that point, Thor... He's been banished for less than 24 hours. Like, even (laughs) if he's your friend, I mean, come on, let him sit for a while and think about what he's done. Right. Meanwhile, back on Earth, S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, the government agency that deals with superheroes, they previously appeared in Iron Man, Phil Coulson's back in this one, which is cool, they show up in New Mexico and lock down the site around Thor's hammer. They also steal Jane's research, so Jane decides to go with Thor to go get his hammer back and her research back. And they head to the hammer site in the middle of the night. Uh, They have a little bit of, like, romantic bonding. Not great, but something. There's actually... It's a small moment that I really like. Right before it rains, Thor, like, takes off his coat and gives it to Jane. And, like, I like that. The Thor, even without his powers, he can sense the weather. That's cool. Yeah. I got the sense that he was, like, still kind of connected to it. Perhaps. In a way. But uh, before that, there were two pretty funny scenes. Well, they each had a joke in them. The one where they're in the diner and he's drinking coffee. He's like, I like this drink. Another smashes the coffee cup on the ground. They're like, you can't do that. He's like, I I meant no disrespect. Well, it was still pretty disrespectful, dick. But then he goes to a pet store and is like, I need a horse. We don't have horses. We have dogs and cats and birds. Give me one that's big enough to ride. 
But then, yeah, after that, they go to the uh, yeah. I shouldn't breeze past those stuff. Although the film, a lot of it is Thor fish out of water, just this big buff Viking warrior dealing with modern right. humanity. What is this internet you speak of? What do you mean I can't just smash a cup and get another one? <laughs> I am the prince. Give me a big old doggy to ride. I am Thor. Yeah, I mean. Those scenes were fun, but like, I don't know, they really only served to tell that joke. And there was a little plot in there. Yeah. Yeah, so while at the crash site, Thor decides to break in while leaving Jane Foster outside. He breaks in, fights all the guards, kicks some ass. There's a cameo by Jasper Sitwell, the guy who was in Winter Soldier that... Captain America saved at the beginning of the movie from the French terrorists and then later turned out to be Hydra. Then the Winter Soldier threw him into an oncoming car. That guy made a cameo. Also making a cameo is Jeremy Renner Hawkeye. Yeah, they introduce Hawkeye as like a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent who's gonna snipe Thor, but like doesn't because Colton orders him to stand out. And, you know, that's a really weird cameo because they knew that next year they were making an Avengers movie where Hawkeye's one of the main characters, and he shows up in one scene in this. It's a weird introduction, looking back. Yeah, I mean, Thor didn't probably didn't even notice Hawkeye was up there. Oh shit, you're right. But Hawkeye sure as hell knew. <laughs> yeah, so he beats a bunch of people up, he gets to the hammer, and just as he's lifting it up, Coulson had ordered Hawkeye to get up high and snipe him, but Hawkeye, obviously being Hawkeye, chose the bow and arrow, and Coulson called him down. He's like, I want to see what happens. Thor tries lifting up Mjolnir, but he's unworthy. So he just gives up and lies in the mud. And that was a pretty somber scene. Yeah, it's really good. Like, like, I felt the impact. The rain going down, him like struggling and then just falling to his knees. You know what sold it? What? What sold it for me was the shot of Heimdall watching it. Like, there's a part where the camera's directly above the little area that they're in. And, like, the lights and the, the building is structured in a certain way. And it's like, I was like, oh, you know, it's a, it's a good shot. But then it cuts to Heimdall in Asgard, who Heimdall has the ability to, like, see all around the universe. It's just a shot of his eyes and the shot of the lights on that building where they are are reflecting onto his eyes. And so it's like he's watching his friend suffer and fail and break down. Like, that was powerful for me, surprisingly. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think Chris Hemsworth quite nails it as much in this as he does in later stuff. But Chris Hemsworth, he does a really good job. He is great at coming across as just this arrogant douchey warrior but then there are a few scenes in this movie through his humiliation conga learning humilitary where he really sells just the despair that thor is feeling chris hemsworth does a good job yeah he really does hemsworth has proven himself over the last several years as genuinely being a really good actor yeah a lot of mcu actors they're like oh yeah whatever they're just in superhero movies like yes But beyond that, like beyond that, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, and Chris Evans, all three of them are legitimately fantastic actors. The amount of range they have, the work they've done in and outside of Marvel, like they're very underrated because many people write them off as just like, oh, they're superheroes. That's it. No, they can bring the power when they want to. Yeah. 
And as Thor is imprisoned now by S.H.I.E.L.D. and Coulson is interrogating him, Coulson steps out for a second and Loki comes through illusion to talk to Thor and he gives Thor the bad news. Odin has passed away due to the stress of Thor's banishment. Loki's fucking lying for clarity, but Thor does not take it well. And it was a minor moment that I just really, really liked, like, after Thor is just heartbroken about his father dying, he just very quietly says, can I go home? And Loki says, I I'm sorry, the peace treaty, it, it hinges on you being banished. Poor Thor. God damn, Loki, you fucking heartless, my guy. Yeah. But do you want to know something? That was a really powerful moment. And also for me, what also sold it when Thor told Loki, he's like, thank you for coming here and talking to me and telling me this. He's broken, but he's like still going so far to prove that he loves his brother. But like, for me, it was watching the scene, I realized something that kind of took me out of it, not having to do with the movie itself. It's like Thor's eyebrows were dyed bleach blonde for this movie. Oh, is that what it is? I couldn't place it. He just looks slightly off. Yeah, Thor looks a little off. And for the entire movie, I was like, what the hell is that? And it was in this scene when he was crying, begging his brother to let him go home, expressing his love for him. This emotional scene, I was like, it's his fucking eyebrows. They're dyed blonde. <laughs> it looks so bad. <laughs> God, I'm glad you said that because that was bugging me. Yeah, yeah, it's his eyebrows. After that scene, Loki tries lifting Mjolnir. Well, no one looks, but he can't lift it either. So he's not worthy either. I mean, did he even have to check that? I feel like Loki may be arrogant, but come on, dude. Have a little self-awareness. Black Widow has more self-awareness than you, my guy. She refused to lift it. Yeah. Honestly, Thor's hammer... I really like it as a concept, this only the worthy, only the greatest heroes in the world can lift. It's kind of insulting to other Marvel heroes, though. Like, why can't I lift it? Is, is Thor more heroic and worthy than me? Why can't Spider-Man? Spider-Man should be able to lift Thor's hammer. I, I would dare say most of the Avengers should be able to. Yeah, exactly. Captain America has done nothing but devote his life to saving his country, saving the world, and saving his friends, even at the cost of his own life. And Iron Man, he constantly makes mistakes, but he does nothing but try to correct that. Hell, fucking Black Widow and Hawkeye, it's like, they're regular people choosing to go and f save the world against gods, robot armies, and giant demons and shit. Like, I don't know. It sounds pretty worthy to me. Yeah. Although, to be fair, on that point, it's actually kind of interesting, because Marvel, they, in the comics, a lot of the times, when they do the big crisis storylines, they're like, hey, what's going on in the movies? Can we draw on that? Oh, cool, they're doing a Thor and a Captain America this movie. Let's do a Thor and Captain America thing. Uh, the big storyline, it's called Siege, that happened the year this movie came out. It had Captain America lifting Thor's hammer, which they, spoilers, later introduce into the MCU, which is cool. Also, in a Justice League Avengers crossover, Superman is shown as being worthy of lifting Thor's hammer. That I like. If anyone's worthy, it's Superman. And Batman should be able to because simply the fact that he is Batman. Dude, shut up. <laughs> so, Thor goes out drinking with Eric Selvig. After Eric breaks him out of the prison by it's saying- not so much breaking out as like, 
you know, he's just, he's just a drunk dude. He, don't, don't worry, he's not a Norse god or anything. He's just a weird, crazy dude. Don't, let him go. Who does steroids. Steroids. Has an, so many fucking steroids. Has an MD and is also an astrophysicist. Yeah, that is a minor thing. They, in like two scenes, they make references to Donald Blake, who is a really complicated comic book character to get into. When Thor was originally introduced, it was like a Captain Marvel thing where he's a normal dude who turns into a different dude. And then they realize that's dumb. Donald Blake's not Thor anymore, but Donald Blake still exists in the... Con it's weird. They don't do it in the MCU. Thank God. And then Thor, he just chills with the science team for a bit. He has some romance building scenes with Jane. Yeah, I thought... Okay, well, first off, I thought that scene where Eric gets Thor out of prison, I thought that was kind of stupid. The fact that he is unarmed going into this military base, telling S.H.I.E.L.D. like, hey... I mean, what do you expect? Do you expect Eric Goddamn Selvin to get an AK and try and take out S.H.I.E.L.D. to free Thor? No, no like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying... is the only way you ain't dying. I know, true, but he's telling them, like, he's telling S.H.I.E.L.D., the Strategic Homeland Intervention Logistics Division, <laughs> said it right the first time, but, um, yeah, he's clearly lying to them, and they're pulling up, like, his ID, and they're saying falsified information, and they're just like, eh, Go ahead. I mean, take him. Sure. What? Let's watch. See what he does. Like, yeah. they aren't learning anything from him being imprisoned. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Follow him. What do we want to know? Also, I do like Stellan Skarsgård as an actor, and he's pretty good in this. I I like Eric Selvig. Yeah. He's probably my favorite of the three scientists that Thor hangs out with. Yes. They have good just buddy like go get drunk together chemistry. Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was funny when they're out drinking at the bar, and then the next time you see him, Thor's carrying him over his shoulder, bringing him back to Jane's trailer and he's like what happened he's like we drank we fought he made his ancestors proud today it was fun also minor thing uh selvig mentions that he's heard of shield before he had this buddy uh scientist investigating gamma rays who shield just took and he never saw again which means eric selvig that's implied bruce banner which means eric selvig knows bruce banner which is not a thing they mention ever again but that's interesting and also in a deleted scene eric says uh, I'm gonna call my buddy Hank Pym. He's worked with S.H.I.E.L.D. before. And that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, like, as the continuity goes in the rest of the MCU, Hank Pym has worked with S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So I guess that kind of stays in line. So he has this kind of romantic bonding with Jane Foster. And here, I think it's about time for my thoughts on that. I'm really indifferent to the romance in most of these MCU movies. It's just like, generally speaking, mainstream test audiences like it better when there's a romantic subplot. So that's why a lot of big studios feel the need to include one. So that's why like you look at a lot of Marvel movies in particular, it's like there's a lot of, every single one has a romantic subplot, whether or not it makes sense fits into the story it's just it's just kind of there it's very paint by numbers generic we're just doing it because we kind of have to because test audiences like it better because that's what these are they're theme parks thank you martin scorsese oh, shut the fuck up martin scorsese his quotes were taken out of context okay, but that, um that's better. 
Now, Francis Ford Coppola, on the other hand, he described Marvel as abysmal. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't give a shit if they don't like him. I just don't like anyone saying this isn't real art. Like, shut the fuck up. You don't get to decide yeah, what agree. art has meaning. You don't get to look at another creator's work and say, this isn't real cinema. Mm -hmm. We're off topic. I completely agree. Point is... I don't hate the romance in this movie. I think it's about on par with the uh, most of the other romances in the MCU, that being forgettable and, like, just whatever. Not a huge part of the movie, so, like, it doesn't take away a lot from it. The part that I, and I know a lot of people, have issues with is the fact that they went with Natalie Portman for the role of Jane Foster. Really? Natalie Portman is one of the best actors working today. And in this movie, she's resorted to nothing but the quirky love interest. It's a complete waste of her and her talent. And honestly, it's no wonder she did not come back for Thor Ragnarok. She didn't even want to come back for Thor The Dark World. But that was mostly because Patty Jenkins, who's her friend, was originally attached to direct. And she got fired. Aw, they replaced Jenkins. Yeah, they replaced her with... Oh, uh, what else did Alan Taylor do? He did another movie that I saw that and was like, oh, God, come on. Let's see what else. We're triple off topic. He did uh, Terminator Genesis. He did The Emperor's did New Terminator Clothes? Genesis. What? No, shit. That's a really good movie. How did he move? I don't know, man. And he wrote it know. too? What? He did Dark World and then immediately after it did Terminator Genesis. So something happened to him. Don't know what. But yeah, so that's my problem with it. It's like not so much the fact that they have a romantic subplot. I don't care. But what I care about is the fact that they had Natalie Portman, one of the best actors working today, and they just completely wasted her. That said, Natalie Portman does do a great yeah, job she's, in this movie. It's like, she's funny. She's, she's very likable. charismatic. Her and Chris Hemsworth have good chemistry. For the fairly bland character she was assigned, she does a good job. It's just she's an actress who could have been given more. Right, exactly. That's my problem with it. I have a similar, to a lesser extent, with uh, Stellan Skarsgård in this movie. Like, he also does a decent job for what he's given, but it's like, I feel like Stellan Skarsgård deserves better than what he got here. So those two, mostly Natalie Portman, I felt were, while very good for what they were given, were kind of wasted. So... Here's my thing. It's a paint-by-numbers romance. It's not the worst we've seen on the show. It's not great, but it could be a lot worse. But the thing is, this film, it hinges on this relationship. Like, his love of Jane is what teaches him humanity and makes him worthy. I like this film's concept. I like that it's Thor going among humanity, learning humility, becoming a better person. I don't know if his character development is earned. Because, A... All of this movie takes place in two days. I mean, there's an epilogue, but most of this movie takes place in two days. He speed ran becoming a decent person. And B, it doesn't really contain, I feel, enough scenes with enough oomph to make him learn humanity. Yeah. Or to have him start this relationship with Jane that changes his life. Like, Thor's, what, a thousand years old at this point? He would have been like a baby in 980 when the war against the Frost Giants was. So, yeah, like a thousand years old. He's been this for so long. At the start of the film, he was a terrible person. He wanted to invade Jotunheim and kill people for revenge. And I don't really think he goes through enough 
to earn that character development and make it feel realistic in the time frame that this movie takes place. I will say the two scenes we mentioned where he is broken down, they are a good start on that, but I feel like you needed more. Loki travels to Jotunheim, where it's basically revealed to the audience that Loki was the one responsible for sneaking yes. the Frost Giants into Asgard during Thor's coronation, although we probably all knew that anyway. Although, to be fair, Loki mentions that he mostly just did it because he wanted to fuck with Thor's day. And I do like this inferiority complex and sibling rivalry motivation, and the film pulls it off really well. Yeah, he also tells the Frost Giants that he plans on sneaking them into Asgard, where he will allow them to kill Odin while he's in the Odin sleep. Heimdall, like, catches this, and he's like, uh, my king, you can't do that. And Loki's like, Excuse me, you're fired. Well, I don't work for you anymore. I don't have to do what you say. I'm gonna beat you. And then Loki freezes him with the casket. But you know what? Good try, Heimdall. You're the best character. You deserved a more dramatic death. Yeah, before he does that, Sif and the Warriors 3 ask Heimdall to help. Basically, they're going to go find Thor and bring him back to help them right. defeat Loki. And Heimdall is like, you would dare defy your king? They're like, yes, we would. And immediately Heimdall's like, good, I'll help you. Again, with that, like you said earlier, like, I'm just going to go take a smoke break and leave the keys in the yeah. ignition type thing. Also, his key is just a big-ass sword, which I like. Yeah, so uh, he helped the Warriors 3 get to Midgard, New Mexico. Yeah, Midgard, New Mexico. <laughs> New Mexico and Midgard. But then Loki sees this after having explicitly told Heimdall not to let anyone use the Bifrost. That's when he goes and freezes Heimdall. Then we cut to Thor serving Eric and Darcy breakfast that Jane had made, smiling at them, because he's a completely changed person now after two days and, you know, just learning about humanity. Yeah, that was pretty rushed, I will say. But from there, the Warriors 3 and Sif, all they're walking through the town, trying to find Thor. Everybody's like, what the hell is going on here? They find Thor. Thor's hugging them. Darcy, Jane, Eric, they're all like kind of taken aback, freaking out like, oh shit, this guy might be telling the truth that he is Thor. Loki, in addition to freezing Heimdall, he also sent the destroyer armor to Midgard to attack and make sure he kills Thor. The destroyer touches down outside the town, and there was a pretty funny moment where Coulson and Sitwell and all the S.H.I.E.L.D. guys were just standing around looking at the dust clear around this giant armor, and Sitwell goes, what, is that one of Stark's? Iron Man's. And Coulson goes, I don't know, that guy doesn't tell me anything. I mean, building an evil robot that destroys a small town, that's not out of character for Iron Man. <laughs> Not at all. He created a giant robot that almost destroyed the entire yeah, world. and that robot created another robot that could be killed by bubblegum. <laughs> the destroyer armor, it's on its way to attack the city. Sif and the Warriors 3, they're going to attack it while Thor and Jane and Eric and Darcy, they all help get everyone in the town to safety, help them escape. And the destroyer reaches the town, starts fighting with Sif and the Warriors 3, but the destroyer armor is too powerful. Thor recognizes this, rushes to them after their fight, which was, I don't know, I thought it was a decent fight. Like I said, nothing really ever reaches the scale in the imagination that was the fight scene on Jotunheim at the first act. But yeah, I thought it was decent. And this is just general, my thoughts on this movie. I don't think anything in this movie is really bad. 
I think a lot of what this movie is, is average. It's never bad, but it's rarely excellent. It's just a passable, decent movie, but it's nothing, aside from a few things, it's nothing to write home about. Thor begs the Warriors 3 to go back to Asgard. He begs Jane, Eric, and Darcy to go leave the area. He has a plan, and while they're all running away, they immediately turn around like, wait, what the hell is he doing? What Thor is doing, his plan is basically going to the Destroyer, who has some vague psychic connection to Loki, apparently. And Thor starts talking directly to him, like uh, he apologizes for any slight he had ever made against him, begs Loki to take his life and spare everyone else because he is what this is all about. Yeah, what Thor says is, and I have it right here in front of me, Brother, whatever I have done to wrong you, whatever I have done to lead you to this, I am truly sorry. But these people are innocent. Taking their lives will gain you nothing. So take mine and end this. Which is a damn good line! Like I said, I think the character development's a bit rushed, but this is a good peak of it with him, without powers, just laying down his life to save others. It's such a good scene. And the Destroyer, initially it turns away, and then it turns back and bitch slaps Thor. Because remember, it's being remote controlled by Loki, and Loki is Loki. And Thor almost dies, but by sacrificing his life, Thor has proven himself Worthy, Mjolnir flies to him and Thor catches it and lightning strikes down and his armor comes back, which probably doesn't make much sense, whatever. And Thor is back and he destroys the destroyer by creating a tornado and throwing it into the sky and smashing through it. And it's really cool. You know, it was something that really stuck out to me in this scene and many other scenes throughout it. The fucking theme, the music in this movie is goddamn inspiring. It is so heroic. Like, the music that plays while Thor is creating the tornado, destroying the destroyer armor, it's like, goddamn, the music was so good. Thor's theme was fantastic. I don't know who did it, but hats off to you. Yeah, let's score by Patrick Doyle. Patrick Doyle, you did a good job, my guy. You did a great job. <laughs> oh, we worked on a lot of things. Including Artemis Fowl. <laughs> of course he did. After Heimdall, just through sheer strength, breaks free of being frozen. Like we've said, Heimdall is the best character. He brings them back to Asgard through the Bifrost. While every single one of them, granted they can't fly, Thor can. But while they're all bringing Heimdall to the, the healing bay or wherever the fuck, Thor flies to the palace where a frost giant lays over Odin, bitch slapped Frigga to the ground, knocking her out. He stands over sleeping Odin, pulls out a knife, and just before he's about to kill him, Loki walks into the room and blasts him to death with his staff. And basically his whole plan is he's going to make it look like he is saving the day to basically win the honor and the respect and love from his father that he felt he has always been denied and believes that it was denied because he's a frost giant. Loki kills him. Frigga is hugging her son. Think, oh my God, thank you so much. Thor walks in and sees his father alive, which he was already told he was alive still. Stares him down. Loki goes in his head, I bet, went, oh shit. Thor tells Frigga and Loki that he knows everything that Loki's been doing. They fight a little bit. Loki blasts Thor out of the palace. And despite the fact that Thor can fly back into it, he just kind of 
doesn't and gives Loki enough time to take a horse down to the Bifrost, a horse that eventually just kind of runs away. Oh no, it walked off the edge. Ah shit, now it's on Sakaar. I mean, knowing the Grandmaster, I'm pretty sure that horse would be like treated like royalty there. He's nice to his horses. So Loki goes to the Bifrost so he can use it to blow up Jotunheim to just complete his plan to earn his father's love. By committing genocide that he clearly states at the beginning of the movie, he does not want. Okay, look, I'm not saying that Loki's plan is good. I'm saying that I don't know what I'm saying. It's not the best plan. Like, up until that point, like, earning his father's love by saving him. That was very clever, Loki. Not really sure what blowing up Jotunheim's yeah. gonna do, especially after Thor's told everyone that you're behind everything. At that point, I feel like he's just kind of doing it because, eh, the dominoes were already set. Need to knock them all down. Thor and Loki have a fight, and Loki points out that, hey, 48 hours ago you tried to do this. Like, don't lecture me. There's a bit in their fight where Loki, like, stabs his spear, Gungir, into the ground and then just, like, pole dance kicks Thor and it's so cheesy. You know, something about that is Tom Hiddleston, in interviews since then, has shown and talked about fan art, deviant art, of Loki pole dancing because of that shot. Oh, God. Tom, I don't know, maybe you like Loki fan art, but I have a feeling you don't because it looks just like you and it's kind of weird. Do not Google Loki fan art. Okay, man? There's so much goddamn... I mean, I'm assuming. I'm not speaking from experience. Oh, uh, you know. You know. Just word to the wise in general, don't look up fan art at all. You know what is interesting that struck me in this movie is there's a lot of parallels between the relationship of Odin, Thor, and Loki to that of Thanos, Nebula, and Gamora. Huh. Shit, that, that's a good point. They don't really call attention to that, which is odd. No, but I would totally be down, like, maybe in the Loki TV series or in, in the MCU going forward. I would definitely be down for having Nebula and Loki team up or get together and at one point talk about I mean, it. Thor's hanging out with Nebula right now, like, now that he's joined the Guardian spoilers. Yeah, well, not... Th uh, yeah, I guess Thor, but I was, uh, I was thinking Loki specifically with Nebula, because they're both kind of lost yeah. children in a way. Like, they kind of both don't know what they want. But, you know, yeah, I guess Thor would also be cool with that. But, uh, you know, I was mostly thinking Loki for that. So, Thor and Loki, they continue their fight. Loki creates a bunch of illusion copies of himself and laughs at Thor. And Thor, like, he falls for the trick that he falls through like six times in the MCU, where he punches through an illusion and then falls off a cliff. But ultimately, Thor wins the fight by just... He sets his hammer down on Loki's chest, which... Ah, shit, I can't move because I'm an asshole. That's honestly... That's like the most practical use of Thor's hammer ever. Like, you ever seen that meme of, like, Spider-Man next to a toilet, like, making the potty dance? What? And, like, there's Thor's no? hammer on top of what? it, so he can't lift. What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? There's a meme on the internet of, like, Spider-Man, he's about to piss his pants or shit his pants or whatever, and he's, like, he's, like, looks like he's about to shit his pants, but he's standing right next to a toilet, which is closed, oh, and has Mjolnir on top of it, so he can't lift Mjolnir, so he can't take a piss. So it's Thor performing a practical joke. Yeah, I have seen that, actually. I am gonna track that down and send it to you. I, I, I've seen it, but ultimately, the Bifrost, it's going too much, it's gonna blow up Jotunheim, and there's nothing Thor can do now. 
Except for, you know, fucking smash the rainbow bridge in the Bifrost. Just destroy everything. And I mean, after that, he won't be able to go to Earth again and save Jane. But, you know, do the right thing. Be the hero. And he smashes the bridge. And he starts falling in Odin, who's Alvacoma, now grabs him. And Thor grabs Loki. But Loki lets go and allows himself to fall presumably to his death. He's not dead. The film ends with him being alive. He fakes his death so many goddamn times in the MCU. But you know what's interesting to me that I thought? Another interesting thing is, obviously the Bifrost Bridge is, like, destroying Jotunheim, and, like, you know, it's killing a lot of people. The Bifrost was being shot onto Jotunheim for a long period of time and probably cause a lot of destruction. We never see Jotunheim ever again in the MCU. So as far as I'm concerned right now, half of Jotunheim is dead. I mean, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, as far as we know, they're completely dead. I don't know. I'm giving Loki the benefit of the doubt because he's a hero now, I oh, guess. I don't by know. By the way, speaking of the Bifrost and later MCU movies, something this film made me realize that they never explain. There is an explanation, by the way, that directors have said, and it shows up in tie-in comics, but they never actually show how the Bifrost is fixed. Like, in this one, it ends with it being destroyed and Thor can't get to Earth, but the start of the second Thor movie, it's just fixed. Riley, how do you think they fixed the Bifrost? I'm curious if you know. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking they just, like, built it. <laughs> I don't know. How did, how did that? Yeah, it's actually a clever thing, because remember, it isn't directly stated, but remember, the Asgardians used to have the Tesseract, and they built the Bifrost years ago. They built it using the Tesseract, and because they get the Tesseract back at the end of the Avengers, they're able to oh, rebuild it. But that's never okay. directly spelled out. Okay. No, but that makes sense. Yeah. That is very clever. But anyway, Loki, he lets himself fall and he's not dead, but... He goes through a black hole, which as far as anyone's concerned at the time, that's basically dead. Yeah, yeah. Wait, hold on. They... Maybe it's like an Italian comic, but we've never seen Loki's meeting of Thanos. Like, do you think he wandered around for a bit, or do you think it just plopped him right in front of Thanos? Like, oops, landed on Thanos' ship. Uh... Hey, can I destroy Earth for you? Ah, uh, sure, why not? Here, have this stick. That has an infinity stone in it that I need to fulfill my plan. Ooh. I don't know. I, I would like to see that in the Loki TV series. They're probably not going to explore that, but I don't know. I will say the final scene of this is... I actually really liked it. It's a very kind of somber, kind of pretty scene of Thor. Now changed by his character development, he's kind of depressed. He leaves a party because he's sad over Loki's death and then he goes to the bridge with Heimdall and he asks about Jane. And, you know, it was a kind of somber scene. I liked it. Good ending. Yeah, Heimdall tells him, like, she's looking for you all the time. Aww. And he smiles and that's it. And then end credits that says Loki's gonna be the bad guy in the Avengers. Cool. Also, another funny thing that I thought was the credits are rolling. Like, you know, the credits, they're, like, explaining the names of, like, the director, the important Everyone in a film set is important, but like yeah. the biggest name people on the set, you know, hey, involved in production. It's like, like directors, 
probably unjustly get all the credit, but they're also the ones that we call fucking idiots when we don't like their movies. Very true. All the risk, all the reward. No, no, seriously. It's kind of a problem with this show. We place way too much importance on the director. Yeah, well, they're in charge. I don't know. Eh, Never mind. Fair enough. The credits are rolling, and it's like this CGI tree. Or they're basically showing us Yggdrasil, the tree of the nine realms, and as like physically manifested in front of us. And it's got that giant epic theme that I mentioned, like Thor's musical theme that is like blasting and it's heroic and epic and like it's insanely inspirational. Then it gets to Walk by the Foo Fighters. Oh god, I skipped the credits. They go to a Foo Fighters song? That's kind of weird. Well, it cuts to like the regular black text, black and white text scrolling, stuff like that. And then when that plays, they play Walk by the Foo Fighters. And they played it earlier in the bar where him and Eric were drinking. And I noticed that. So I just thought it's so funny. Like, Brana, the guy who adapted Hamlet is now making Thor, and he's putting the Foo Fighters in the credits. Granted, I'm sure it wasn't his choice, but I just thought it was so... And to be honest, the song is fitting, because it's about, like, persevering and, like, continuing to fight when you struggle. And it's like, I guess that's pretty fitting. I just... I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I just think that the idea that a Foo Fighters song in a Thor movie... I don't know. It's just... It's, it's, it's not bad. Not at all. It's just interesting to me. So I think, like you said, Casey, a lot of this movie is, it's no, at no point is it ever truly bad. It's not bad. It's just the great moments are very few and very far between. I get the feeling that Marvel, under like the first two phases, which was mostly under the control of Joss Whedon, because he was the guy doing the Avengers movies, obviously. I've gotten the sense that Marvel really didn't know entirely what direction to take Thor in the MCU at the time. When you go to a big Marvel superhero movie, like Thor, you would expect Thor to be, you're expecting, like, a lot of action, like a superhero action movie. But that movie is, by its own design, the complete opposite of that. Thor is not a superhero for most of the movie. And that's by design, by the story. But I have two schools of thought on that. As, like, a superhero action movie, that is detrimental. The fact that, like, at the end of the first act, Thor is completely depowered and he spends the next hour and 15 minutes, however long, like, as a mortal man, just kind of in this fish-out-of-water situation. From a superhero action movie perspective, it's detrimental. But from a character development perspective, it served Thor well in the long run. Because, like we've talked about earlier, I think Thor is the best developed character in the MCU, or at least he has the most complete arc during the entire Infinity Saga. Where he started versus where he ended, it's like that's one arc that persevered throughout the entire series. When you look at like something like Iron Man, Iron Man, depending on how you look at it, he had like two or three different arcs. Granted, it was towards one goal, one endgame, Avengers Endgame. Unintended. Yeah. I don't know. Depending on how you look at it, he kind of went through many, many changes. Captain America, on the other hand, he did not go through many changes, which is well, in that he, from the beginning, knew right from wrong, good from evil, and he's going to fight and persevere through that. Now, they apply that to different scenarios. That's what makes the Captain America trilogy so fascinating to me personally. But Thor, from a character development perspective, the idea that he started off as just an unbearable douchebag at the beginning of this movie, and then by the end of the Infinity Saga, he is a guy who has dealt with 
loss and pain and mental illness. And he's learned that no matter what, the power is within him. That I think is the best arc in the MCU as a whole. And it all started with this movie because this movie laid the groundwork for that to be made. Instead of focusing on big action spectacles nonstop, they went with a more character-driven movie. And yes, a lot of the character development in this movie isn't as strong as it could be because his relationship with Jane Foster isn't as strong. But this laid the groundwork for what eventually would become the best developed character in the MCU. Yeah. If I could describe this film in one word, it would be solid. I completely agree. It's not excellent, but it's very, very solid. And the best part of this movie is... Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston as Thor and Loki, and they would continue on in the sequels to this film and in other Marvel movies as these characters, and they would get better with time. This film, like a lot of the early MCU stuff, it's not quite the heights that the series would eventually reach, but it's good enough and it sets groundwork that better films can launch off of. I was pleasantly surprised with how much I enjoyed this movie. There are a lot of really good scenes. I will admit it is just kind of okay for a lot of it, but when this movie hits its heights, it hits its heights. I think this is a very solid movie. Though I do appreciate the idea that Kenneth Branagh was the director of this movie since he took his very auteur Shakespearean style to it. You know, I very much appreciate that. I don't think he's the best director. There were some moments of like visual storytelling where it's like, oh yeah, we said we're gonna do this. Or like, this is important to show, so let's get that one shot of it real quick. Like Mjolnir, for example, at the beginning of this movie, Mjolnir is introduced and it's just kind of like child Loki and Thor. They run down the treasury and it just kind of zooms past Mjolnir, like the most powerful weapon up until that point into the MCU. And there were some things like when they were like, okay, yeah, uh, we're going to save all these, we'll get all these people to safety to leave the town. It's like, we have one shot of Thor helping a kid get into a truck. And it's like, he's kind of hidden behind Jane Foster for that shot. And I don't know, there was some, some directing choices, a lot of Dutch angles, which didn't get on my nerves, but it's just like, kind of, why you got to go so many Dutch angles, dude. But point is, this movie was fine. From the directing, it was fine. The writing was decent. There were a number of impactful moments, but like you said, overall, it's just, the movie's good, you know? The CGI, I, at no point is the CGI like ever terrible, but like there's parts where it's better than others. Like the Destroyer looked great. There were some shots of Asgard that kind of had a bit to be desired, but apart from that, yeah, this movie was sold by Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, and those very impactful, dramatic moments. There is a bit of wasted potential here with the actors and the story and some things, but overall, this is a fun superhero movie that just, you know, you turn on, you have a good time yeah. with, you know? Not much beyond that. How would you rate it out of curiosity? <sighs> I'd probably give it a 7 out of 7 10. 7 out of 10. It's That's fun. Fair. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's a good movie. I go 8.5. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's very enjoyable. I do think it unfairly gets wrapped up in the conversation of what's the worst MCU movie based solely on the fact that Thor The Dark World is one of the weaker movies. It gets unfairly looped in with that. You know, honestly, I haven't seen Dark World in a while. Maybe I should rewatch it because I thought this one was just kind of the same as that one and thought it was better. Maybe that one's better. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You never know. Oh, by the way, just minor thing. Volstagg, like, 
Thor's fat sidekick. Do you know who plays him? Uh, I saw on IMDb earlier, like, the guy's face. I don't know. I don't remember it. Ray Stevenson, who played the Punisher. That's weird. Huh. I don't have anything else to say about that, but that's kind of weird. Did he play the Punisher in Warzone? Yeah, Warzone. Ah, uh, the worst one. <laughs> oh, that's the bad one? Well, I mean... Are there any great ones, to be fair? No, many would argue there's not even a good one. I haven't seen any of them. I've only the seen the Netflix we, show, which we was We do good. this all the time. We're the worst. Just stop talking shit about things we haven't seen. <laughs> Alan Richson is the greatest Aquaman. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where that came from. I kind of blacked out there. Oh, also, Renee Russo is kind of wasted in this. Like, she's really good in Dark World and Endgame, but she's barely in this. Yeah, that too. Her, Natalie Portman, and Stellan Skarsgård were very wasted in this movie. But, I don't know, I thought this was a very good stepping stone for what would eventually become Thor's story and character in MCU going forward. And I am pumped for Love and Thunder. Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Now that WandaVision's out, Love and Thunder is my most anticipated MCU work coming forward. I, I, I And you know what? I'm going to be honest. I know we've talked about it, but as time goes on, I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in the Loki show. And I guess we can talk this. We'll talk about more next week, actually. But I don't know. The trailer didn't win me over. And just the concept of it, it's Loki, but in an alternate universe. And also he doesn't have his character development. That doesn't really interest me. Although I will say in some of the pre-release stuff, it shows him like wearing a suit and a vote Loki button. Like, and that's a comic story where Loki ran for president of the United States in 2016. And who knows? Maybe... That'll be good if it's going into the just crazy trickster god bullshit that Loki's done over the years. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, and we just touched on it. Next week is more MCU stuff. We're going to be talking about WandaVision, not reviewing it, because reviewing a nine-episode TV show is different than our usual format and i'd also because like it's going out week to week i'd like to talk a bit about what it was like watching week to week and how our theories built as it went on and after that if we have time in the episode we'll talk about other mcu shows that are coming out afterwards yeah absolutely i'm looking forward to yeah it. yeah riley where can they find you you can all find me on youtube at riley thorpe where you can check out all of my horror comedy short films i have a lot more coming soon you can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Riley James Thorpe, where you can check out all of my content on there. Give me a follow and stay tuned. You can find me on Twitter at Jarms Casey, J-A-R-M-E-S-C-A-S-E-Y. I mostly post about this show, but I also post about my writings, which you can find at CaseyJarms.wordpress.com. Well, sci-fi stories there. You know, honestly, it's weird. Like, I'm going to make fun of myself. The stories I have on my website are my best because I'm trying to get my best, like, sold to people who will give money for... But there's still some good ones. They came from Below the Waves is good. Check that one out. Or The Man in the Attic. Whatever. Uh, we'll be back next week, assuming we're worthy. Where, as I said, we're going to be talking about WandaVision. As always, I'm Casey Jarms. And I'm Riley Thorpe. And hey, it's just a movie. Don't lose your head about it. Especially not too old. Either.